Welcome back to the Gathering Place of All Nations. This Monday morning, Rod Francie shared a message about what does it look like outside the church. This was such a great message, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Let's check in. Is everyone okay? I just realized this is the first time I got to speak here in this actual room. I just realized this very moment as I looked out upon you. Uh, but it's so good to be here. Everyone's doing okay on this side of the room? Are you sure? All right. You doing good in the middle people? Middle people doing good? Let's hear for the middle people. Come on. How about this side of the room? I want to hear some noise from this side of the room. Praise the Lord. How about the back? We need some noise at the back. Come on, some representation. Praise the Lord. Okay. You know, the first time I, well, maybe it wasn't the first time I came to this church, but um, I, I was pleased to discover we had a gentleman here named Jack Impey, and this gentleman knew scriptures like backwards and forwards, and he knew all the, the, the you know, the, the address, the number, all this stuff, right? And I was like confused. I said, are you telling me Jack Van Impey goes to this church? Because I grew up hearing Jack Van Impey. Then I began to think, I think Jack Van Impey's passed away. So what's going on? So finally I did meet Jack Empey, and I thought, what are the odds of that? Like, you know, what are the, it's so amazing, but we all love Jack. He is a prayer warrior. He's out here all the time praying. He's walking around the building before we come for worship. He's doing so many things. Thank God uh, for, for the praying saints in this house. I'm so glad to be here. Um, really want to welcome uh, anyone who's here for the first time, any visitors, you're so welcome. It may be a little different kind of service. If you did grow up going to a, a church that was more conservative, uh, a service like this can be a little like, what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I went to an Anglican church when I was a kid, and uh, it was very liturgical. Uh, you know, you sat and you kneeled and you did everything on cue. I think they had three scriptures up there and three hymns and all that kind of thing. And personally, as a young person, I found it extremely boring. I'm just being honest. I just wanted to get out of that church. I mean, I went there to please my mom. And then when I finally went, uh, God really touched my life, I went to Pentecostal church the first time, and people were jumping, people were shouting, people were lifting their hands and yelling. And, and like, I'm like, what is going on in this place? Like, what is this? Like, this is so weird. But thankfully, I had a good Christian brother who opened up the scriptures and showed me that that's from the Bible, you know, lifting up holy hands, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know, shouts of joy and victory shall be heard in the righteous of the Lord. So we could, there's jumping in the Bible, there's twirling, there's dancing. Doesn't mean every service has to be that way. We're not saying that. But guess what? For those who really, really love their conservative church, and that's okay. I'm not putting that down. But some people who love that conservative style might get a shock when they go to heaven. They might get a shock when they see people jumping, shouting, dancing, twirling. How many know King David just lost it for the Lord? Amen. When they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, he started dancing and shouting, and he was just having a great time. And I don't know if you remember the story, but his, his uh, wife at the time kind of got judgmental on him a little bit and sort of thought, oh, my God, this is undignified. And unfortunately, she judged him, and they had a conversation, and the Bible says she was barren the rest of her life. We, we don't want to be like her, do we? Let's not judge people. Let's not judge people who are jumping and dancing and having a great time in the house of the Lord. Let's, let's let, there's liberty. The Bible says, let there be joy in the house of the Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We need to have fun at church. Amen? I don't like doing things unless there's a little bit of fun involved. I don't know about you guys, but if there's no fun, I don't really want to do it. 
There's got to be something fun. I don't care if it's work or whatever. You've got to be able to joke and laugh and have some fun. But I'm really glad to be here in the house of the Lord, and I believe all of you are as, as well. Um, how many know that uh, it's less than a month to Christmas? Did anyone know that? I feel some people just got a little nervous here. I feel some nervousness. Less than a month. So how many have got all your Christmas shopping done? Okay, praise the Lord, Charity's got all, oh, There's a few out there. That's amazing. Every year I say, it is, every year I say I'm going to have mine done early, and it never happens. It just never happens. But praise God. Um, I'm using paper today. Normally I use my computer, but I'm going to try just with paper today. I probably have too much material here. The message title I have for everyone today, after long, hard thought of what I should talk about when I got here today, is how to enjoy a successful marriage in three easy steps. How you can enjoy, for those who are married, a successful marriage in only three. Think of the three easy steps. Amen. I, I thought so too. That's a great title. I determined after uh, th just a little over three months of being married that I have the authority and the wisdom and the experience to lecture everybody else who've been married for 40 years and 30 years. God bless all the married people in this house that have stayed and prayed and stayed together and done everything else because I found out that I do enjoy being married to Louisa, a, a lovely person, a gracious and wonderful person, and her daughter's amazing. But I've discovered as much, uh, it's great to be married, it's challenging at times. I'm just going to say that. Is, is that news to married people here? Is that new? Bob's looking at me kind of funny there. I don't know. Anyway, praise God. Marriage is of God. It's a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful for my family, and it really is a blessing, I'm going to be honest. Anyway, um, just before I pray for the service, I just have a thought about Christianity. I just want to put this out there for Sunday morning. You know, our Christianity uh, is really meant uh, to be, oh, sorry, I, I got ahead of myself. Actually, you know what? Our Christianity is meant to be lived when primarily when we leave this building. We thank God that we come together. We thank God for the worship, and we thank God for those who bring a message and inspire us, encourage us, and pray for us. We need that. Very important. But the truth is, the, where the rubber meets the road in our Christian life, if we can be honest, it's once our foot steps outside this building. It's when we get out of this building and we go into the world, we go into our workplace, we go into our families, in our relationships, and our marriages, that's where true Christianity begins. As much as this is important, as much as we need this, we need this. But when we get out there and it's hard, when we have a boss at work or a coworker who's taking credit for what we did and talking behind our back and getting our boss against us, how are we going to handle it? What are we going to do? Are we going to go to this book? Are we going to go to the Lord? Are we going to start living our Christian life in that circumstance? Or are we going to start, poor me, oh, poor me, and start, I've done it. I'm not up here saying I haven't done it. But it's so easy just to get mad at the person, to begin in our mind, oh, I'm going to get that guy back. I'm going to find a way to get him. But the Bible says don't do that. The Bible says revenge is mine, saith the Lord. He says pray for your enemy. Bless those who curse you. That's what the Bible says. So our Christianity really, really uh, manifests when we leave here. You know, it's pretty easy to come to a worship and praise service. That's not hard to be a Christian in an atmosphere like this. Amen? It's when we get out there and the Lord's telling us to share the gospel with somebody that we don't want to. 
you know what I mean? We, we might get rejected, and God's saying do it, and I, I wish I could say I've never failed at that. I have. But that's where Christianity begins. So I pray that my message today would be a message that we can use once we step out of this building, something that we can remember and apply in our life. Because as we do that, we're going to see the blessings of God come upon our life. As we do that, we're going to see miracles, signs, wonders. As we do those things, we're going to get closer to God. Because this is a relationship book. I'm not qualified to preach about marriage just yet, but I want to tell you, this book is about relationship. It's about relating first to God. Primarily, we relate to God through Jesus Christ. And then secondly, to one another. This is a relationship book, and I can't necessarily preach to the married people in this place. But I'll tell you what, this book has a lot to say to all of us about relating to one another, forgiving one another, humbling ourselves, you know, being honest to one another. So as long as we stick with this, we can have blessed relationships in a blessed life. And I'm just going to uh, pray, if you'd pray with me, if you would. Lord, we just want to thank you today that uh, this is the day that you've made, that we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord God. Father, uh, we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And I don't know where everyone's at on their journey, but that journey is a sacred journey. And I know that you're in that journey with your people. And even those who don't know you yet, even those who don't call you Lord, you're in that journey. You're wooing people. You're drawing people. You're helping people to come closer. You want them to know that you're the truth and the life and the way. You want them to know that they are eternally loved and they can have everlasting life. So, Father, we thank you today, and I bless every journey in this room, every journey with you and those that are coming closer to you. And, Lord, I'm just asking that you would use your word to divide between soul and spirit, Lord God, today. I'm asking that your word, Lord God, would pierce even to the division, Lord God, of joint and marrow, that, Father, your word, which is living and powerful, would, Father, Father manifest and, and do something, speak to us, God, and change us, because we are changed from glory to glory and from faith to faith, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen, amen. Well, praise God. <clears throat> I really love, I don't know about you guys out there, but I really love the foundations of our faith. You know the foundations? You know the, those pillars that hold up everything? You know your house has a foundation. This building has a foundation. It doesn't matter how pretty the building looks on top or the house looks on top. It could be the most modern, amazing place, but if that foundation isn't strong, eventually all that beautiful stuff up top, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go sideways. It's going to start to crumble, and they're going to come in, and they're going to say, listen, unless you fix the foundation, we've got to condemn this house and tear it down. So people always look at what we can see above the ground, but God always looks at the foundation. What are we really believing? What are we really trusting? And what are we really doing? It's, it's the foundation. Each one in this room, we see you, and we love you, and you all look pretty and nice today. Thank God all the ugly people stayed home today, you know? <laughs> God just brought the beautiful people. Thank you, Lord. He did that for me, I think. Thank you, Lord. You all look so pretty and nice, but each one of you has a foundation, and we can't see it. We can't see that foundation. You can't see my foundation. But I'll tell you what, you begin to get a peek and a glimpse at people's foundation when they go through a hard time, when they go through trouble, when something hits their life. You're going to see what kind of foundation they're standing on. Are they going to crumble? Are they going to fall? Are they on sand? Are they on the rock? Because if you're on the rock... Jesus said the storm will come, the winds will come, the waves will come, but that house is going to stand. That's why we need a strong foundation on the rock, on the word. I thank God for glory meetings. 
I haven't personally had a big gold dust experience in my life, I'm just telling you. But if I did, you know, that's fine. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, and, and falling on the ground, jiggling around, that's good too. I've been on the ground a few times. I've, I've had these things happen. That's great, you know. But honestly, that's not going to hold you in the storm. <laughs> it's not. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it really is the Word of God. Thank God for the manifestations, and God heals people today. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit working and moving in the church. I thank God we have room for the Holy Spirit to move. But really, it's the Word of God that holds us. And I like what Pastor uh, Tom said. I think it was uh, last Monday, or was it Sunday? Sunday, yeah, he preached there. And he said, you've heard this before, but it's so true. He says, all Word, all, all Bible, all Word, and no Spirit, we dry up, very dry. You know, the Pharisees had the word. They knew the word inside out. They memorized it all day and all night. They knew the word, but no spirit. And then on the other side, all spirit and no word, we blow up, right? Because you know what? We get into manifestations. We get into all this stuff. People are running around and barking like dogs, and who knows what they're doing. Crazy stuff going on. You know, Jesus told me I'm supposed to divorce my husband and move out to Nicaragua, and I'm starting an intern or something, and Hold on a second. Hold on a second. All spirit and no word. Things blow up. It won't last. But when you get the word and the spirit together, we grow up, right? We grow up. We need it both. We need the word and we need the spirit because really it's the spirit that makes the word alive and applies it to our hearts and our lives. So I love the fundamentals of, of the faith. Have you ever heard the term fundamentalist Christian? How many heard that out there? By show of hands, a couple of you, eh? Usually that word fundamentalist Christian is used in a derogatory way, like something like this. What are you, one of those fundamentalist Christians? You know, I just did a Donna Perishing there. <laughs> what are you, one of those fundamentalist Christians? <laughs> Not doing it as good as uh, Helena, but. So normally the word fundamentalist Christian is, they, they, it's a put down. But the truth is we need the fundamentals. The word fundamental really is the very thing that, that holds up the whole thing. Like, the very essence of what something is. Fundamentally, uh, the game of baseball is a game with four bases, a bat, so many players, you gotta have the rules. That's baseball, that's fundamentally baseball. If you take one of the bases away and it's got three bases and you don't use a bat, it's something, it's something out of the sport, I guess, but it's not baseball, right? So fundamentally, a fish, is a scaled creature that breathes through its gills underwater and swims around fundamentally. If it doesn't have those qualities, it's not a fish. Fundamentally, a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus Christ. Fundamentally, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the man, that Jewish carpenter who died on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's what Christianity is about. It's about a relationship with God who became man, dwelt among us, preached the good news, did good works, never sinned one time in his entire life. He obeyed God, and he went to the cross. That is fundamentally what a Christian is. And then you can build a lot of stuff on that, but fundamentally, that's what a Christian is. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul, who was no lightweight guy, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if you didn't know that, and uh, uh, he was very deep in theology. How many know Paul was deep? He wrote Romans and a bunch of other great stuff. Very deep, right? But here's what he said when he came to the Corinthian church. He said, 
2 Corinthians 2, verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. It's about the Jewish carpenter folks. It's about the one who came in obedience to his father, the one that was prophesied to come. 5,000 years became, before he came, all the Old Testament had prophecies about Jesus coming that a, a woman would, would uh, conceive, a virgin would give birth, and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, um, almighty God. Jesus was the manifestation of that. So the apostle Paul really brought it down to the fundamentals. He said, I came, I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And then he didn't stop there. Not just Jesus Christ. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for, for, for him and his life. But crucified. It's all about what he did for us. It's all about the price he paid for us. Because without that, we'd all be in our sins right now. Nobody on this planet would have a hope of heaven. Nobody would have a hope. It wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus Christ coming in obedience to his Father, paying a mighty price and going to the cross on our behalf, suffering unspeakable horrors of pain and anguish of soul on that cross. That's the fundamentals of the Christian faith. That's why I love the fundamentals. You know, we want to learn about the ten toes of Daniel's statue, you know. We want to learn about pre-wrath and post-trib and pre-trib and pan-trib and all these other amazing doctrines. They're great. But we always have to be reminded of why we're here and who we're serving and who we need to wake up every morning and thank and remember throughout our day. And if you're struggling with that right now, that's okay. I'm not here to condemn you. We all go through struggles. But that's, that's our trajectory. We're looking to relate to Jesus Christ every day. One thing that the Bible calls us is believers. We are called believers. How many knew that? We're called believers. What do you think that entails? You can yell it out if you want. What do you think it means what? Believing, that's right. Believers means we're believers in Jesus. We are called to be believers. And Jesus said, uh, more blessed are you who believe who have not seen me than those. Remember the uh, apostle Thomas was doubting? And he said, I'm not going to believe. Uh-uh, not me. I will not believe. The women came back. They said Jesus arose. They, said, they talked to him, a bunch of people. Thomas, no, no, I'm an empirical evidence guy. I'm one of, I need to see it. I'm a scientific guy. I need to see him right here. And then, of course, Jesus showed up. And he said, here I am. Put your hand in my side. Put your hand in the holes here. And he said, and he said then Thomas said, my Lord, my God. He recognized who he was. And he recognized that Jesus Christ was God and the Son of God, the man God, Christ Jesus. And then he said, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Because that's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. When we believe in Jesus without seeing him physically, that pleases God. Just like the scripture Pastor Tom mentioned today, that without faith it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. We cannot please God without having faith. You know? I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I grew up in the suburbs of North York, and uh, um, uh, the 80s and 90s, and my brother was quite an influence on my life, uh, got into the party culture, the party atmosphere. It was all about having fun. It was all about getting drunk and getting high and going to parties. I was in a band. Uh, just my whole life was, where's the next party? Where's the next fun? Where's the next event? Are we going up north? Let's do something. That's all I thought about. That's all I wanted to do. And uh, it didn't take long before I was completely addicted to alcohol. 
and to marijuana, some other things too. And, um, you know, that problem in my life of not being able to get free from alcohol and drugs, because I tried, I tried about three times. I could go one month, maybe four times I tried. I went one month white knuckling it, hanging on with everything in me, hanging on to trying to be sober. And usually one month and then something would trigger me, somebody would offer me a beer, I'd go through a tough time, and right away I was drinking again. So this problem actually was a blessing in disguise. Because my inability to get myself free was what actually brought me to God. So one night I prayed, and, and some of you heard the story. I'm not going to go into detail, but I, I went into my backyard off after falling again with the alcohol and the drugs, and I said a prayer. And I want to say it was through signs and wonders that God got my attention. Because when I prayed in my backyard, a mighty light sh shone in my backyard. I'm not going to go into a detailed description, but God spoke to my heart in a very real way. And the next morning I, I woke up. And I remember thinking, man, that was a miracle that happened back there. You know, I don't even, I'm not even telling anyone about that. I'm not telling, you're going to think I'm crazy, right? So anyway, um, that miracle didn't save me. Some of my friends used to say, oh, you, got, you saw a light and you were saved. No, the, the light didn't save me. The light got my attention. Like, it really got my attention. I said, wow, I can't deny what happened to me. So I began to pray more. I said, well, if I prayed once and God showed up, maybe if I pray some more, God will show up again. So I began to pray more. And uh, slowly but surely, God began doing miracles. People would come to my door as I'm praying and hand me a book about God. I'm saying, God, who are you, God? Who are you? Knock, knock, knock. Here you go. Like, wow. Literally, that happened. And then, uh, then I'm praying again. A guy, uh, a drug dealer shows up at my, my door, and he's in trouble. And I, he wanted money. He wanted me to help him out. I prayed for him. I said, I'll pray for you. I think prayer works. And he said, okay. Right? So this cocaine dealer in my, in my yard, he's saying, okay. So I prayed for him. And then I started praying for a church. I decided, I'm, I forgot about him. And I'm praying for a church. Lord, I want a church. Show me a church. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call. It was the drug dealer, my old friend Rob. He said, Rod, I'm born again. He said, I'm a new creation. That the blood of Jesus has washed my sins away. I'm a new creation. And I'm like, I, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I'm thinking, this is incredible. And then he says, and I want to invite you to church. And here I have been, like, praying for church for so long, right? And then, I won't go too long with this, but then I said, oh, where's your church? And he goes, oh, Jane and Finch. And I go, oh, uh, you know what? Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate that. I think I'm busy this Sunday. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> Jane and Finch was a real scary place in those days. It's not the best now, but back in those days, oh, my goodness. It was scary. Anyway, thank God Rob didn't uh, give up. He kept inviting me, kept inviting me. So just get him off my back. I finally went, and I became a member of the church, and I was actually in that church for almost 24 years or something like that. And I served there and got the ministry. It was a really, really good time. So um, when I was at that church, <clears throat> I remember I was a new believer, and I, uh, they had a, a new believers class there. And thank God my, my pastor was sensitive and said we had a bunch of new believers at that church. And he said, if you come early, we'll, we'll talk and we'll just talk about some things. And you can bring your questions. And I'm like, amazing, because I had so many questions. I had so many questions. So um, one of my questions was, he did his teaching and he opened it up. Does anyone have a question? And I said, I was reading, I was going through Moses. I was going through the book of Moses, Exodus and Numbers. And I said, how come the children of Israel, though they saw all those signs and wonders, though they had those crazy things happen, Yet, every time there was a problem, they just started yelling at Moses. They started blaming Moses. They started blaming, you know, everybody. 
And I said, why was that? <clears throat> well, you know what? I'm going to quickly go through some of those, those things that happened in Exodus just to make this point. Because in Exodus 7, there was a lot of miracles going on. Do you, remember, you guys remember the story, right? Moses, remember? He originally, he was, uh, he was adopted by the um, daughter of Pharaoh. He was educated in Egypt. And he uh, grew up in the courts, and he probably had the, all the privilege of, of a, a son of the Pharaoh. And when he got to a certain age, I guess he found out that he was actually uh, Jewish by birth. And he didn't like to see that his brethren, who were now slaves, they were now being uh, treated horribly in Egypt. They had become the slaves of the Egyptians. He saw them being treated bad. And then one day, he had a bit of an anger issue, it would seem. And one day, he saw one of his brethren being beaten. So he looked around. The Bible says he looked around. And when nobody's there, he killed the Egyptian. And then he hit him. He buried him in the sand and said, okay, I hope nobody saw me. And I guess he went home. And I don't know how I felt after that. It's quite a day, right? Just killed a guy. Anyway, um, he found out the next day that the Jewish people had found out he killed that, and he got scared, and he ran. And then he went in the wilderness. He was there for 40 years. In the wilderness, he met a family, took care of him. His father-in-law was Jethro. So he was there for 40 years. And then, all of a sudden, one day, he's out there tending the sheep, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, he's like, oh, there's a bush burning over there. Huh. There's a burning bush. And I guarantee that Moses had seen a lot of burning bushes in his life. I'm sure he'd thrown thousands of burning bushes on that fire, you know? He's seen logs on the fire, burning bushes. He's seen a lot of burning bushes. But what got his attention was this particular bush that was burning was not consumed. All the other bushes he threw on the fire, they burnt for a little while, then they became ashes and they disintegrated, right? But not this bush. This bush just kept burning. So it says, he said to himself, said out loud, he goes, I'm going to turn aside and see this marvelous sight. And so that's what he did. And you know what, sometimes, you know, God wants to get our attention sometimes. Something, some, sometimes something weird will happen in our life, some weird coincidence or something. God's sometimes trying to get our attention on something. But this definitely was a God thing, and he turned, he went over to it, and the bush, as if a burning bush that is not consumed is not crazy enough, this burning bush that was not consumed began to speak to him. <laughs> began to speak to him. And he said, Moses, Moses, he said, take your sandals off, my son. This is holy ground. You're coming before the living God, the Genesis 1 God who made it all. I'm here. I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation. And he commissioned Moses to go. He said, go back to Egypt, confront the new Pharaoh, and say to him, let my people go, because I've heard their cries. Do you know God hears our cries? Do you know God hears when we're feeling oppressed and we're feeling down and things aren't going right? Seems like everything in our life's going sideways and we can barely utter a little teeny prayer. God hears our cries. He hears our prayers. He who created the eye, shall he not see? He who created the ear, shall he not hear? God hears your prayer. Do not give up in your prayers. Do not give up. Keep praying. Keep seeking God. You might be going through a season that's very tough, but you know what? God's in there with you. He's in there with you. Do not give up in your prayers. Don't look in the natural. That's the problem. Sometimes we look and say, but I don't see nothing changing. Don't worry about it. That's not faith. As soon as it changes, it's not faith anymore because you got it, right? I sound like Pastor Tom. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, 
don't give up. God hears our prayers, and God heard the prayers of the oppressed. I think there were six million men and probably a whole bunch of women and children, so there's probably about two million people altogether in Egypt being totally oppressed. And so anyway, what did, what did Moses do? You know, first thing, well, why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? How is this shepherd I think he lost his zeal. You know, when he was young and angry and killing Egyptians, he would do anything back then, right? He was a young buck. Now he's older. He's in his 80s. And he's kind of like, ah, he's not so big on going back there now. So God said, you know, he said, what's your name? What should I say your name is going to be when they ask? He said, tell them that I am that I am. That's all God said, I am. Because God is. God just is. He is powerful. He is amazing. He is self-existent. He is eternal. Someone once asked, Rod, who created God? Who created God? And I said, you know what? That's the wrong question. That is the wrong question. Because if God's created, he's not God. If God's created by something, who created what created God? God was never created. He always has been. I am that I am. He is the great I am. He is the eternal, self-existing God, and I know you could, like, blow your mind thinking about that one. I've tried a few times, like, it's amazing to me that anything is, but it is. And here we are. So he commissioned uh, uh, Moses to go down there, and Moses again said, well, I don't speak very well. And he said, okay, we'll give you Aaron, your brother-in-law. He can help you speak. So isn't it funny how God, who just did mighty signs and wonders in front of Moses, says, go do this right away. I can't. Imagine God telling you to do something and you say, I can't. Like, are we not kind of calling God a liar? Kind of? God says, go do this. I can't. So God didn't know what he was saying, right? God's mistaken. God told someone to do something they can't do, right? So do you know God tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? And the devil and circumstance come along and say, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never get free in that area. You'll never have that kind of breakthrough. You're never going to fulfill your ministry calling. But that's not the voice of God because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God's not mistaken. He knew what he was saying when he said that to us. I don't know what your calling is or what you're supposed to do in your lifetime, but I'm going to prophesy over you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Don't give up. You can do all things. God is for you, not against you. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Come on. He has a hope and a future for each one in this room. Do not give up on the brink of a miracle. So finally, Moses went down to talk to Pharaoh. And uh, I don't know how he got an audience with Pharaoh, but he did. Maybe they re- some remembered him, or it was just God just opened up the doors for him. But the first thing happened, he... Uh, he went up to the Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, God has spoken to me, and he told me to come talk to you. And he's telling me, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who the heck are you to tell me let my people go? They're not your people. They're my people. I've got them. They're my slaves. They work for me. Who are you? Right? So Moses said, okay. And then the next day, God said, go out to the Nile River. And we know what? We have some uh, pictures. We're going to put them up here just to spice things up a bit here. He went there to the Nile River, and Moses stuck his rod in the Nile River, and it turned into blood. And it says all the fish died, and it stank. And if you think it was bad enough the river was full of blood, even people were pouring their pots out and stuff like that, it was turning into blood. If that's not a mighty miracle, I don't know what is. So that was the first miracle he did. 
And then the next thing, he went back. So Pharaoh kind of relented a little bit and then hardened his heart again. And he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to. He says, even my magicians can do that. So he says, okay. So then the next miracle was he created frogs. That's in uh, Exodus 8. Frogs. Uh, that's an artist's rendition of what that looked like up there. Anyway, it said frogs came out of the Nile River. So many frogs, they were everywhere. They were all over the people. It said they were in their kneading bowls. I think the next one I got one of it in, in someone's kneading bowl. There it is. They were like in your house. They were in your bed. Frogs are disgusting. You know what I mean? They're kind of gross. In one way, they're cool, but in another way, they're really gross and slimy. You wouldn't want a bunch of frogs jumping all around your house and your street. There was tons of frogs. Everywhere you looked, there was a frog. There's a frog. I just stepped in a frog. There's a frog on my shoulder. The frog fell on me from the hook. There's frogs everywhere. It was horrible. Not fun. So anyway, yeah, that's right. If you're from uh, French uh, Quebec, then that might be a good thing because... Frog's legs. My mom used to try and get me to eat frog's legs. She was from Quebec, so I never did. So, okay, the next thing happened. He caused the frogs to, to die, and then he turned the dust to lice. Pharaoh, again, wouldn't relent. Harden his heart. No, I'm not letting the people go. So he said, take, take your rod and touch the dust, and the dust became lice. Lice are disgusting. They're disgusting. They're little creatures. They go through your hair. They get into everything. So everyone's now getting attacked by lice all over their bodies, and Pharaoh said, you know what, I don't like this life, so yeah, maybe we'll talk about you going. But then he hardened his heart and he wouldn't do it. So the next thing Moses had to do, boils came upon everybody. How many would like to get some boils? Oops, I guess we missed the boil picture. We'll skip the boils. Oh, there we go. So then boils, all of a sudden all the Egyptians got boils. Everyone got boils. That's horrible. Don't you think at some point Pharaoh would have said, you know, this is a pretty bad situation. Perhaps God is with Moses, you know. Maybe, just maybe, God kind of maybe is with them, but he didn't. God hardened his heart. God had a purpose in, in Pharaoh. So the next thing, hail, hail came down with fire all over the place. There you go. Hail with fire came down, broke all the trees, broke all the branches, caused fires ever. What a mess. Absolute mess. Then the locusts came. The locusts came because they didn't, wouldn't heat them but the fire. Locusts everywhere eating all the green things. And still Pharaoh, he kept saying, okay, I'll let you go, but then he would change his mind last minute. Then the next one was darkness came upon Egypt. That's darkness up there. I put a black, I put a black thing. That represents darkness. Can you feel it? And they said that it was a darkness that could be felt. It wasn't just dark, it was a heavy darkness you could actually feel. But the amazing thing is there was still light in the land of Goshen where the Jews were. So where they were, there was light there, but there's none there. If that's not a crazy, awesome, undeniable, crazy miracle, I don't know what is. That's an amazing miracle. God is a God of miracles. And then the last one, he said, finally said, okay, if you don't let my people go, we're going to bring death to all the firstborn in Egypt. Actually, all the firstborn, even including the Jews. He said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn. So... He, uh, Pharaoh said, I don't care, and what happened? His son died, and here he is up in front of his useless God, his fake, demonic, evil God that doesn't compare to the God of Israel, Isaac, Jacob, these puny little demons that lie all day long and try and mess with our minds, but we have the mighty God of Israel. We got the God who said, I've put all things under your feet. I've given you authority to trample upon serpents, scorpions, all over the power of the enemy's power. Come on, we serve a mighty God. These puny, fake, little gods are going down. You know what I like to do? 
Sometimes when the devil's bugging me, you know what I like to tell the devil? I love to tell the devil this. I say to him, guess what, demons and devils that are serving you? You're all going to hell. Your future's hell. You're going to be a horrible, hot place of punishment forever because you blew it and followed Satan. And you know what? I feel the demons leave me when I do that because they know it's true and they don't want to be reminded that's where they're going. That's where the demons are going. That's where Satan is going. Come on. We're going to be in heaven praising the Lord for the rest of our lives in glory in a beautiful place with no tears, no crying. It's going to be streets of gold. You're going to have a mansion. There's going to be no tears, no misunderstandings with people. It's going to be amazing. And, de- and Satan's going to be roasting down there in hell forever with an apple in his mouth, turning on a spit. And all those little demons are going to be like, why did we follow him? Why? So anyway, there's Pharaoh. It's not going so good for him. And then, now here's the cool thing. When, when they said, when Moses said all the firstborn are going to die, he had gave instructions to the Jewish people and said, listen, the death angel's coming. The death angel's coming to kill all the firstborn. But we don't want him to kill the Jewish firstborn. So here's what you do. You take the blood of the lamb, a sacrificial lamb. You take the blood and you put it on the doorposts. And there it is, the next thing. He said, here, follow my instructions. Now... They could have ignored God. They could have said, no, why should I do that? God's been pretty good to us so far. I don't think I'll do that. Sometimes God has an instruction for us to do. He says, I want to save you, but you got to do this. I want to help you in your business and your finances, but you got to do this first. I want to bring you a breakthrough, but you've got to do this. Faith and God's promises often entail a condition. I will help you and answer your prayers, but you have to obey this. And this is the particular thing that God had instructed, which was not only to save the firstborn of the Jews, but was also to foreshadow the coming of the Messiah, to foreshadow the coming of the Lamb of God, whose blood would take away all the sins of the earth. Because God's not just an artist. God's not just a mathematician. God's not just the best counselor you ever went to. But he's a poet. And he's writing a beautiful poem through his Bible. There's beautiful poetry. He's showing something. He's foreshadowing. He's speaking to us. And that's what he's doing. So they put the blood over the, the lentils of the house. And when the death angel came, it passed over all those houses. The death angel looked down and said, there's the blood. We can't kill them. We're not going to go into that house. But every single house, it says, in Egypt, every single house, there was someone dead in that house. Can you imagine waking up as an Egyptian and your foolish pharaoh has put you through this hell and you wake up and you feel bad about the person in your house has died, but no one's going to comfort you because they got someone dead in their house. It's a depressing place. It was a horrible situation. But thank God. But you know what? Part of that was payback because... Pharaoh had killed a lot of uh, babies before. Remember, he took all the, the male children and threw them in the Nile River? So what you reap, you sow. He was unrepentant, and it came back to them. And that's what happens. So there he is putting the blood on the, the lentil, and the death angel passed over. So then we, they finally, they follow, Egypt, uh, they follow uh, uh, Moses. Um, that night they went in, they talked to all the, all the Egyptians, gave them gold and gave them jewelry and said, get out of here. They said, take my gold, take my fur coat, take my, my iPhone watch, take all that stuff. Just get out. We just don't want you around. You're causing us problems. So they all followed Moses. And the next big miracle they did when they came to the Red Sea. So I don't know what we got up there next. Do we have another photo? 
So they all went through, and you can see this is uh, most likely uh, where, this is at the Red Sea, uh, where most scholars believe that the uh, Israelites actually went. You can see the pathway that goes through there. And years ago, it wouldn't have been quite that big. It's, it's expanded over the years, but it would have been big enough for a couple million uh, people to camp out for a while. So they came through there, and we know the story. All of a sudden, Pharaoh said, get the army together. Let's chase them. So there they were, all on the edge of that bank. And I think there's another picture. You can see these modern pictures. They got stuff going on there now. But Pharaoh came, and all of a sudden, everyone saw the chariots coming, and Pharaoh and all the soldiers coming, and they went to Moses and said, Moses, 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 was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out to this place to die? Like, I find that quite sarcastic question. You know what I mean? I mean, accusation. As soon as there's a problem in their life, the accusation comes out. God's not for me. You're not for me. Is this what you want me to die? All they could see is their circumstances. All they could see is the problem in front of them. That's all they could see. You would think, and listen, I'm no better than them. If I was back there, I would probably be doing that. Probably you would have too, just saying. You know, we're no better in some ways, right? But you would think one person would have said, hold on a second. Didn't God just do mighty miracles? Didn't he bring the locusts and the swarms and the, and the darkness? And didn't he do that? Is there a chance the same God could help us in this situation? Is there just a chance? You know, I, I'm surprised nobody said that. Some wise person. Maybe someone tried. I don't know. Maybe the group just got angry. But anyway, um, we know what happened. God, he, guess what Moses did? You know what Moses did. <laughs> Moses went to God and said, God, what am I going to do? He said, Moses, chill out, bro. I got this. Take that rod of yours and put it in the water and watch. Stand still and see the salvation of your God because I got a plan. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm with you. And I'm about to do a mighty miracle that they'll be talking about 7,000 years later like we are today. So he did that. He put his rod in the water and he touched it and boom, there it is. It opened up. And there they go. They all go through. It says they went through on dry land. It says the water was a wall on, on the right side and a wall on the left-hand side. And they all went through there. And let's see the next thing. <clears throat> next miracle he did. As soon as they got to the other side, oh, by the way, all the chariot wheels were falling off. You know, the, the, the guys were going through there and they were trying to catch them, but the chariot wheels were falling off. God had angels just knocking the chariot wheel off this side. And, hey, let's put a stick in that one over there, you know. And he was messing with them. So they all got across safely. Look, all women, children, there's Moses up there. And then he said, okay, watch this. Here's the, here's the finale. Here's the grand finale. Boom. Make the water go back. It went all over the horses and the rider. And we all know that song. God has triumphed. How's it go? God has triumphed. Horse and rider fell into the sea. Oh, I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. That's what's going to happen to our enemies. That's what's going to happen. They're going to be gone. One day we won't remember them or think about them anymore. Excuse me. So there's another mighty miracle he did. And then you'd think, okay, now you'd think the people would say to themselves, well, okay, God got us out of another one. He's pretty good. He does some pretty good things here. So then all of a sudden they had another problem. Another problem happened. <clears throat> it says that when they got to Mara, a place called Mara, okay, here we are, the bitter waters. <clears throat> excuse me. The bitter waters, 
One moment, please. I do this every time. Okay. Can someone know, does anyone know the theme song for Jeopardy? So they needed water. They came to Moses and said, Moses, why did you take us away from that great place, Egypt? We loved Egypt. Egypt was so fun. We loved being oppressed and beaten and having to make bricks with no straw. It was great. Why'd you take us from that amazing place and bring us to this horrible place? We need water. Can't you see we need water? And then the water they found, oh, they found water, but it was bitter. In other words, it was poison. They couldn't drink it. So Moses, why have you brought us out this horrible place? We had it made in Egypt. Do you ever notice sometimes when God takes you somewhere, he's got you on a mission, he's got you on something new in your life, and you get there, and you know what? Maybe it doesn't seem as good as you thought it was going to seem, but guess what? God's still there. God still brought you there. He didn't promise everything was going to be easy. He didn't promise it would be great. You know what? The Bible promised us persecution, temptation, and all kinds of other things, challenges, that's what God promised, but he also promised eternal life. And he also promised he'd be with us. And he also promised he'd help us when we pray to him. So God brings us into situations that are hard, and then we have to rely on him. It's a good plan, eh? Because if he didn't bring us into hard places, we probably wouldn't go to him, just like when I was a drunk. If I could have got out of that, I would have, but I couldn't. I went to God, and he helped me. Now I have a testimony of going to heaven. It's a good thing. It's a good system. So he brought them there. Not, not this picture yet, if you could. I'll go quick, though. Um, so they were bitter, and what did they do? Moses said, throw the tree in there, throw the, the branches in there, and guess what? The bitter water became sweet, so there was a miracle, and you know what that represents? That represents the cross. The tree was the cross. That's representative of Jesus' cross, because he can take your life, and he can take the bitterness out of our lives. He can take the anger and the bitterness. People have betrayed us. People have done things that are wrong to us. It hurt. It wasn't fun. But God, by the cross, can take it and make us sweet again. He really can. But it only happens when we go and spend time with that Jewish carpenter. You, we need to spend time with that Jewish carpenter. we got to talk to him. It's that easy. We have to talk to him. So they put that in there. The waters became sweet. And then, here's what I really like, and I have to go fast, but the next thing, miracle that happened, um, I guess it was the manna. The manna came down. Again, they're saying, there's no food out here. Where's the grain? Where's everything? They're complaining again. Once again, God's forsaken us. God doesn't care about us. He did all those other things, but he doesn't care. So manna came down from heaven, and they would collect manna, just enough for the day. And then on Saturday, they had to, or uh, it would have been Friday, they had to collect twice as much because uh, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. So that was a miracle that it was just an amazing thing. I don't have time to get all the details, but they took the manna, and that was a miracle that they saw. And then we go to uh, the next frame, if we could. They came, they had no water again. Another issue with water. They were traveling, there's no water once again. You want to kill us, right? You want to kill us. So Moses, uh, I'm going to read this one, starting in Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord had commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water 
for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make uh, us and our children livestock die of thirst? What an accusation. Imagine someone coming up, you've been a faithful leader, and they come up to you and say, why did you bring us here to die? All our kids. Like they threw that all on Moses. So the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it uh, for the people to drink. So Moses was commanded to strike the rock. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Merbah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord not among us. So water came from the rock, as you can see. Enough water to give water to over 2 million people, perhaps 3 million people. So that was a mighty uh, miracle. <clears throat> so then if we go a little bit further to Numbers 20, we have the exact same problem, the exact same situation. There's no water again. And here are the children of Israel grumbling. I'm going to read it. Numbers 20, verse 1. In the first month of the whole, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses. What's new, eh? They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died with our brothers and fell dead before the Lord. They said, death is better than this. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us why did you bring us out of Egypt into this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory appeared to them. Uh, thank God that Moses was a man of God, and when, when that happened to him, he didn't just get in the flesh and start screaming at them all. He went to God. He got down on his face. He began to pray. And the Lord said to Moses in 7, verse 7, Take the staff and... Your brother Aaron gathered the assembly together, and check this out. This is important. He said, speak to the rock. Can you see it there? Speak to that rock. That's important. Before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him, and he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Can you tell Moses is getting a little mad here? I feel like he's been in the flesh on this one. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Now, what did the Lord tell him to do? Speak to the rock. But what did Moses do? He struck it not only once, twice this time. Not even once. He did it whack, whack. He was mad. So he struck the rock, and then all the water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. The millions of people had water. It must have been a river coming out of there. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me, to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israels, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Merib where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he, he was proved holy among them. So here we find out Moses was very disobedient before the Lord. The first time God said, strike the rock. 
And some of you probably know this, but maybe some of us don't, that that rock <clears throat> is representative of Christ. The rock is representative of Jesus Christ. It even says that when we get into the uh, First Peter, it says for... Um, yeah, I'm going I'm to read a few scriptures in that. For uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. A psalm of David, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. And then in 1 Corinthians, talking about this very situation, it says, for they, the children of Israel, drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock in the desert was Christ. It was representative of Jesus. And the first time Moses came to the rock, God said, hit the rock. And that's representative of Jesus being struck, being smitten for our sins. When Jesus came down and said once he died for sins, one time he died for sins, he was smitten for our sins, for our trespasses, for our waywardness. But then when God said to Moses the second time they needed water, he said, now speak to the rock. He said, speak to the rock and water come forward. Because God, the poet, was making a beautiful analogy about Jesus. He was making an analogy saying, First, Jesus was smitten. We had, he had to be crucified and tortured for our sins. But now, we just need to speak to him. He doesn't have to be tortured again, crucified again. It's already been done. Once and all, for all, Jesus has died for our sins. Now, we can speak to the rock. Jesus says, come boldly, come boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you might find help in time of need and grace. God's always saying, come, come, speak to me, speak to me. This is our answer. This is our cure. So Moses, without really knowing it, I guess, was disobedient, and he blew the analogy that God was trying to make, the beautiful picture that God was creating. Can you imagine that God would allow someone in his, this vast, beautiful story that a, a, a finite person like Moses messed up the story of God? So the punishment was he didn't go into the, get to go in the promised land. And because Moses had such a high accountability as a leader, leaders have higher accountability than just anyone else because everyone's watching them, right? So when a leader does something, it affects so many people. That's why it's so sad when you see a church leader falling. And we don't sit in judgment of anyone that that's happened to. We're not there. We pray for those situations, right? But the Bible says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So the enemy is always trying to come against leaders, worship leaders, church leaders, ap apostolic leaders. So that's why the Bible says, pray for our leaders. We really need to pray for our leaders. But anyway, that's what happened there. And um, that was another miracle that they saw. And I'm going to kind of have to fix this up a little, go a little quicker here. Well, back to my class. I'm, now I'm back in my church, right? All this crazy stuff has happened to Israel and all that stuff. And I asked, I said, how come, pastor, that the children saw all those crazy miracles, all those amazing miracles, and then they kept doubting? And he, he explained a little bit to me, but the one scripture he shared with me, and I think it's worthwhile sharing today, the one scripture, it's from Psalm 103, verse 7. It says this, that he, God, made known his ways to Moses his acts to the children of Israel. Moses knew God's ways, but the children of Israel only knew his acts. They only saw the miracles. They only saw the power and all that stuff coming down, but they didn't know the ways of God. And that was the difference. You know, I love miracles. Like I said, God used miracles to get my attention and save me, but the miracles don't keep us. We thank God for them, but the miracles, the signs, the wonders, prophecies, they're all great, but 
we need to know God's ways in our life. Because Christianity starts when we leave this building. And if you're not in a trial, you're going to be in one soon. I'm not prophesying. Maybe a year, maybe two years. If you're not in one already, we're all going to be in one. And we need to know what's going on when we're in those dark trials. Do you know that God allows us to go into some trials that are really hard? When I first got saved, I was a long-haired, freaky guy at work. I was kind of a tough guy in a little ways, and I had a lot of respect in the yard, and it was a union environment, and nobody messed with me. When I got saved, and I cut my hair, and I started telling people about Jesus, people didn't like me anymore. And they didn't give me any respect. And you know what? In the old days, I'd go up to the guy and say, what did you say to me, bud? Outside. But now I'm a Christian. I can't do that, right? So when they call me names and stuff like that, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to tell you the truth. For eight years, and God raised up an enemy who lied about me continually. There's a guy who everyone thought was a great guy at the yard, and he went around and lied. He called me the worst name you can be called in that union environment. He called me a rat. When you're in the union, they call you a rat? That's not good. Let me just tell you, that's not good. He went around telling me I was a rat. What did I rat on? I don't even know. <laughs> no one ever told me. But no matter where I got, nobody would talk to me. New people would come to the yard, be friendly with me, and then a few days later, they would not talk to me because I was a rat, apparently. So this went on for a long time, and it was tormenting. I hated going to work. I was afraid to walk into a room. I'd come out, and all the guys were sitting in the lunchroom. I didn't want to walk in that room because I knew it was coming, and I had nothing to say back to them. I didn't know what to do. Can I tell you something? That trial that I had went on not for one year, not for two years, not for five years, eight years. Eight years, I was like the stuff on the bottom of your shoe in that workplace. I had no respect. I was treated. I was lied about. No one would talk to me. It was horrible. Every day was like that. And you know what? I started getting a little mad about the situation. And I was praying to God. And I felt like David. You know David in the Psalms, Lord, break their teeth. Smash them, Lord. Destroy them all, God. Kill them. Bring fire from heaven. Please. Please. Just a little. And when I would pray those prayers, silence, nothing. I'm like, what is this? This isn't even scriptural. I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I shared the gospel. I'm, I'm serving you. And um, one day, one night, I had a dream. I had an amazing dream. And uh, I had a dream that I was sitting in front of a workbench. You ever seen an old workbench? Really old, used hammer marks all over it, beaten up work. And there's a picture. It's not the best picture I could get, but that's what I got. I got two of them. Let's see the other picture. I like the other one better. That's really good. So anyway, I had a dream. I was standing in front of a workbench. It was worse than that. It was so broken and smashed up. And I'm looking at this workbench, and I'm thinking, why am I standing in front of a workbench? And then all of a sudden, the guy's name was Eric, by the way. Eric is up beside me like this the guy who's lying about me all the time. I even moved to another yard, and then he moved to the same yard. Just saying. So all of a sudden, Eric is beside me, and I'm going, this is uncomfortable. My mortal enemy is beside me. And all of a sudden, I look at the workbench, and the workbench was circular. It went right around me. I've never seen a workbench that went around in a circle. It was like a donut. It's beaten up, smashed, hammer marks all over it, and the workbench is getting smaller, and these guys are getting closer to me. And I'm like, what? So I woke up, and I said, I was late for work. Oh, i got to get to work. And I'm on the way to work, I'm driving. What did that dream mean? I knew it was a God dream. I knew it was a God thing. And then all of a sudden it came to me. God was using Eric to do a work in my life. 
God was using that guy to lie about me and cause me problems, and it was like a hammer smashing down on me all the time, beating on me, this, that, and the other thing. It was painful. It hurt. But God was doing a mighty work, and what he was really doing was pride. I had massive pride. I didn't know I had pride because I was so proud. But I had, like, massive pride. I used to walk in a room when I was unsaved. I'd go in the toughest bar in Toronto, and I thought I could beat anyone up in that bar. I'm telling you, I did. I really did. And I'd fight anyone in that bar. And I got beat up a lot, by the way. But that's how I was. I was really proud. And God was using that, so I thought, well, that's interesting. Then a few Sundays later, I went to church on Sunday, and uh, our pastor called everyone up for an altar call, and I went up. And he walked up to me, and he put his hand, and I don't do a lot of, uh, what do you call it when you fall, uh, uh, courtesy falls, you know, for people, you know, like, I'll just fall because you put your hand on me. So I was saying, I'm not going to fall. <laughs> so my pastor put his hand on me, and he says, this day you're coming out of the wilderness. This day you're coming out of the wilderness. And I fell on the ground, and I remember God's doing something. And I got up, and I went to work on Monday, and guess what? I walked in the room, and the insults started flying at me. And you know what it was like? I'm telling you the truth. It was like I was Teflon. Bing! The insult just went right off me. I'm like, well, that was funny. A good one. Another one, bing, bing. And I had things to say back. I had like good quips and things just to come back. I wasn't mad at them. I'd just say something, put them down a bit in a fun way. And I'm telling you the truth. After that day, you could put me in the most rebellious group of crazy guys, and they couldn't get under my skin. Nothing could happen. I had authority in that group. I could talk to them. I could preach to them. God just did something. Why eight years? You know, why eight years? I have no idea. But God, in his amazing mercy and love, it was probably me fighting it, I guess. I don't know, probably. But my point is, God is going for deep stuff in our lives. If you're in a situation where you have to work with someone who drives you crazy, and you've already prayed against the devil, but he keeps driving you crazy, there's a good chance it's not that guy that God's dealing with. There's a really good chance that it's, I'll say us, you know, that's one of the preacher things, us. (laughs) But, so if you're in a situation that doesn't seem to be going away, no matter how much you rebuke the devil, there's a very, very good chance that God's trying to get a hold of your heart and say, teach me, Lord. Teach me what's going on. I'm not going to look at him. Yes, I'm trying to take the the speck out of his eye, But guess what? Sometimes God's trying to remove that big, ugly log that's been in our eye for a long time. So next time you get in that situation, if you're not already in one, and it's not going away, there's an individual who's driving you crazy. It could be a family member. It could be a a boss. And you've done everything you know. Can I give you some really, really good advice? And I'm going to close very soon. I'm going to give you some really, really good advice. The advice that Jesus gave us. Pray for them. Serve them. What's the other? There's three things. I always forget one. Pray for those. Bless them. Bless them. Pray for them. It even says feed them in some translations. Sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to pray for our enemies. I'm telling you, sometimes it's like the hardest thing. And you know how I know it's hard? Because I worked with young people in Jane and Finch for many, many years. And we had a lot of young girls in our youth group. And they would come and open up about a lot of drama. Let's just put it that way. A lot of drama. You know, some girl did this, some girl said this, she did that, he did that. And you're like, wow, they're coming to you. And you're like, well. So I would open up the scripture and say, here's what Jesus says. It's going to work for you. Do it. Pray for them. Bless them. You know, give them a drink. Do it. Right? And they would sort of, uh, and then this is a sad story because after three or four weeks, I'd, I'd say, how's it going with that thing? Did you pray? No. They didn't pray. You know why? 
because that's where Christianity happens out there. It's easy to say, praise the Lord, what an amazing scripture, right? But when it's happening, it's not easy, right? But when you do it, it changes. And every person I've ever prayed for, every enemy that I've ever had in my life that I've prayed for and served them and loved and I have been perfect this, I've fallen sometimes, I got back on the program, got off again, it's changed. Usually what happens, it changes my heart first. I had a guy who used to embarrass me in the yard. He used to come out and goes, oh, the born-again Christian, eh? I was a foreman. This guy's like a temporary. <laughs> oh, the born-again Christian. He started in front of everyone, just put downs, nasty, and he bugged me because I had a good day plan. I got things going. All of a sudden, that guy, oh, right? And then all of a sudden, okay, okay, I know what's going on here. It's time to pray for him. I start praying for him. This is just one story. I got so many. Praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. All of a sudden, and it's hard to pray for him. Oh, by the way, here's how you have to pray. This is important, okay? If you don't learn anything, here's how you pray for enemies. Don't go, Lord, bless them, amen. Ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. What you got to do is, Lord, I pray for that guy that you would bless him more than I could ever be blessed. I pray his marriage would be the best marriage he could ever have. I pray that you'd help him financially, emotionally. I pray you'd give him joy. I pray you'd give him a great vacation. I pray you'd be around him. I pray you'd protect him. I pray you'd be with his family and everything that's important to him. Lord, give him more than I could ever want for myself. Pour it out on that guy. Bless him, Lord. That's the kind of prayers you got to pray. So I would pray like that, and it's not always easy. And then I remember, all of a sudden I walk into work, and all of a sudden I see him differently. It's the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, I'm like, I feel for the guy. I see he's hurting in some weird area. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I care about him. I kind of care about this guy. What's going on, right? And then, inevitably, after that happens, the guy changes to me. All of a sudden, he's opening up and talking to me and being normal, and he's not wanting to mess with me anymore. And it happens like that all the time. So if there's anything we learned today, I really encourage you, if you've got someone in your life like that, do it. I'm going to tell you it's not easy. Maybe it'll take a week. Maybe it'll take a month. Maybe it'll take a year. Maybe it'll take 10 years. I don't know. But do it because that, that's what Jesus said to do. Well, I'm, I'm about to close, and we're going to pray. And um, I hope that somebody got something today that you can use once we're outside the building. Amen? We love the church. We love worship. We love signs, wonders, and miracles. We want them. We need them. God uses in the book of Acts and in the New Testament church all over the place. But the word of God is what's going to keep us. It's, it's the word of God that's going to teach us God's ways. We don't want to be like the children of Israel that knew his acts but didn't know. Never become one of those people that goes from glory meeting to glory meeting to prophetic meeting to prophetic meeting that you need your fix of that stuff. You need to get your fix in your house with your Bible. There's all sorts of words. You want a word from the Lord? 66 books full of words from the God. Right there, right there, right there. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know where you are at today. Where are you today? Where are you at today with God? Where are you at today with your relationship with him? I want to tell you something. If you don't know that you're born again today, if you don't know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I have great news for you. You can change that today. Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. He is a good God, a gracious God. He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but I came that people would be saved. He's a prayer away. One of his promises to you today, if that's you, he said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will 
be saved. Everyone, it doesn't matter what your color is, your creed, your background, your country of birth, your age. If you call upon the name of Jesus today, you will be saved. I'm going to lead us in that prayer very quickly. There may be one or two in this room that needs to say that prayer. Or maybe you just need to get closer to the Lord. But I just want everyone to quickly repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for your love. I know that I have sinned and lived a life that has been displeasing in some areas. I ask that you would forgive me. Wash me of my sin. I speak to you today, just like Moses was to speak to the rock. And I know you hear me. Come into my life. Teach me your ways. Teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And I just want to quickly pray for anyone in the room that's going through a trial. It could be a financial trial. It could be relational trial. It could be someone who's lonely today. Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room that we would not grow weary, that we would draw closer to you in our trial, that we would be teachable, Lord. Father, I pray that we would obey your word because great blessing comes when we obey your word. If there's any place that we have turned from the clear teachings of Scripture and done our own way, Lord, bring us back to your way. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you. And we just ask, Father, that you would make us a light to this generation. Teach us, God. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Tune in later this week for a word from Pastor William Souza. Also, please reach out to us or check us out online at www.tgpoa.com. See you soon.